jumper on the way. Good! Tyus Battle nails the three! Dungey leaps and into the end zone for Dungey. A touchdown! If that's not on every highlight show tonight, then I, I don't know who's watching. Howard for the oh! Soaring through the air! High-flying Slovakian! Screen pass here, he'll get one. And he stays alive and he's got room to the 10. One man to beat, he'll do it. Touchdown, Syracuse! And for Syracuse, party time. The upset, pulled by the Orange. They defeat Clemson 27 to 24. The penetration, step back. Oh, a pressure bucket for Tyus Battle. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Powered by Drivers Village and Hummel's Office Plus. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us alongside Seth Goldberg. I'm Stephen Fonte. So we welcome you back from the Thanksgiving holiday on Orange Nation. 315-437-7644 is the number. If you'd like to get involved, you can also text us at 315-288-0644. Two guests lined up for you today. We will hear from both of our Usual Monday guests, Adrian Autry and Floyd Little. We'll hear from Floyd coming up at the top of hour number two. And uh, you caught up with Adrian Autry a short time ago, uh, Seth. He's uh, out on the road, and we'll uh, we'll play back that interview for you in about a half hour. Lots happened over the course of the last four days, five Has days anything, since we last did a show. Any, anything big happen? I don't know. Men's I mean, basketball team basketball won. got back on track. Tyus Battle uh, played great. Frank Howard uh, actually appeared in the starting lineup, and and we saw Frank Howard for the first time this season. You know what I did, and and you know what I did last night. This is going to sound hilarious. So I was traveling on Wednesday night uh, after the pregame show. I hit the road. I was going out out of town for Thanksgiving, so I missed the game completely on Wednesday night. But thanks to modern technology and and great things like that, I watched the game last night. Except it was really strange because I knew the final score, and I knew like more or less what happened in the game. I had read some articles, some recaps, whatever. And so I'm sitting there, and I know that Colgate only gets to 56 points. And with like 15 minutes left in the game, they're at 46. And so I'm I'm just wondering when they stop scoring. I'm like, okay, when when does this drought come? When and they just stop scoring points? And like 30 seconds later, it happened. And you saw the first 30 minutes where they yes. couldn't miss from three-point range. And exactly. you're thinking, how do like, they how go do they... from that <laughs> to only finish with 56? That is exactly what happened. Um, I'm, I'm watching this game last night, and I'm like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever done. I hate doing this. I actually consume games like that quite a bit. Um, and I'll be honest with you, Wednesday night when Syracuse was playing Colgate, I watched the first half live, but I was working on some other things. You know, I had I had the chance to sit down with Tim Green last week, and so I was working on that interview. And so it's a close game at half. I, I watched the second half back, you know, basically recorded it, and then watched it back that night before I went on the newscast. And I was th- the same thing. I, I saw the final score. I knew what the final score was. And I'm thinking, how in the world do they do they get to that yes. final score? How is this a 21 point game? At one point, it's at one point it's like uh, I don't know, four, 49-46. and I'm like, all right, Syracuse scores 30 more points here, and and Colgate scores 10. I was like, how does this happen? And Tyus Battle looked great. Uh, he scored 22 points, and he did it on 10 shots. That is uh, that is efficient. 
Uh, yeah. Eight for ten from the field. He got back to his normal position. We'll talk some basketball as the show moves along. Uh, the women's team, as Tommy just mentioned, with uh, with three big wins down in Cancun, but none bigger than the last one as they beat DePaul in overtime at the buzzer on a layup by Tiana Mangakahia. And they have just one loss on the year. They've got a couple of wins over ranked opponents already. That one loss you know, by a bucket at Oregon. Uh, they are going to climb in the national rankings when the new polls come out. Presumably, they're going to be in the top 15. Uh, so the women are, are off to a great start as well. Yeah, they're doing all right. They're doing all right. That game on Saturday was fun. Uh, I, I was here in studio. I was listening. I was watching the football game. It, there was a lot going on. It was a lot of fun, though, uh, to, to hear you know Brian Higgins at the end of that game as they went into overtime. And now another nationally ranked opponent coming up later this week in the ACC Big Ten Challenge as they travel out to Minnesota. But we have to start the show, obviously, by talking football. And, you know, you listen to Tommy deliver his sportscast, and he's talking about the fact that they're 9-3, and three, 18th in the country. Can we all just kind of take a deep breath and, and reflect on that for Ranked a minute? Ranked five weeks in a row. Ranked five weeks in a row, 9-3, and three, and you look at the losses. They lost at Clemson, who's the number 2-ranked team in the country, going to the college football playoff, assuming they don't stub their toe against Pittsburgh. Neutral site game, kind of a neutral site game. I mean, that was an 80% Notre Dame crowd, but it was a neutral site venue, I guess. Uh, Number three ranked team in the country that is going to the college football playoff because Notre Dame doesn't play again until the semifinals. And on the road to Pittsburgh in overtime, the Coastal Division champ a week after, you know, SU gave that one. I don't want to say gave that one away, but couldn't close the deal, let's say, uh, at Clemson. Those are the three losses. Nine and three, 18th in the country, five weeks in a row that they're ranked. And more than likely, more than likely, they're going to be the first pick after the New Year's Six for the ACC Bowls, the Camping World Bowl, most likely, I think, is going to scoop them up. I think so, and and uh, I'm just doing a quick look here. Do you know the last time that they were ranked five weeks in a row in the AP poll? If I'm reading this media guide correctly. It, is it not 2001? It's not. Is it before then? Yep. They were only ranked three weeks, uh, four oh, in weeks a, in, in a row. Yeah. Okay. Five weeks in a row. I mean, we're going back to McNabb's last year? Uh, before that. Before that? Yep. In the AP poll, they had not been ranked five weeks in a row since 1993. Is that right? Yes. And not that I don't believe you, but now I'm curious. I'm going to flip back to in McNabb's senior year. What happened? In 1998, they were unranked in the AP poll following a loss to West Virginia. Or actually, sorry, it was 98. It was earlier in 98. But, I mean, even so, 20 years. Yeah, okay. It was right. Sorry. It was 98. I was I, thinking, how in the world could off, that... I got thrown off by the one week in the middle. <laughs> I was looking at the end of seasons. But okay. yeah, that even makes so, sense. I mean, 98. Like, we're, we're talking about forever. 10 years I mean, ago. Talking, or tw- 20, 20 years, years ago. ago, I mean, yeah. You know, we're, we're talking about things that have not been done here in 20 years. And, and um, you know, to the, to the point that, you know, we were talking about a little bit before the show started, you almost just have to take a deep breath and a step back and, and just look at this season and enjoy it. And... Yeah, there's a lot to be, you know, worried or excited about for next year. I think there's a lot to be excited about for next year, quite honestly. And yeah, you're losing some big pieces in in, you know, in Eric Dungy, but uh, man, this year is incredible. I mean, they they doubled their win total from each of the previous 3 years. Uh, Dino Babers uh nearly back at 500 as Syracuse head coach after two 4 and 8 seasons to start his 
to start his coaching tenure. Uh, you know that 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 kind of stuff to me is remarkable. That kind of stuff to me um, is amazing that you can even consider. You know, it's, especially sitting here at the beginning of the year, I I looked at the schedule and I said, hey, I think they're good enough to win six games, especially with this schedule. Uh, but you know what? I, I think same old Syracuse. Something will happen and and they'll end up with five wins. And now they have a chance to double that. I mean, they've got a chance to double that total that, that I threw on them at the beginning of the year. Uh, I never could have imagined that in August. And some will say that, well, you know, look at the schedule, and the ACC was down, and that opened the door for nine wins. And, okay, there, there's there's some truth to that. Um, but it, at the same token, you can only play the games that are on your schedule and the, the teams that are on your schedule, and you got to go out and beat them, right? It, it, we, we felt like Syracuse was better than... You know, Wake Forest, for instance, we felt like Syracuse was better than Florida State and Louisville. They still got to go out and beat those teams, and and to their credit, they did. And they ended up, you know, on the road at Boston College, their final game of the regular season, coming off a tough loss to Notre Dame. And there was a lot on the line. I, I think we would all agree that that you know there was a lot on the line for both teams. A win over BC on Saturday would put the stamp on this season as Syracuse is the second best team in the ACC. And if they lost that. You know, then you're talking about, well, is it BC? Is it NC State? Um, you know, is it Pittsburgh? You know, Pittsburgh's got a chance in the in the ACC title game, but it, it it would be there would be a debate. There is not a debate today about who the second best team in the ACC is. The second best team in the ACC is Syracuse. Oh, that's not even a question. No, but if they lost, it would have been a question. It would have been so up my, for debate. My, my point is, coming off that tough loss to Notre Dame, we felt like they were better than BC. They were seven point underdog going into the game, but we felt like, hey, they're better than BC. And you got to go out and you got to win the game and you got to prove it. It was going to be a physical game on the road. They've struggled on the road. And to their credit, they look like a different football team in this game than they did, you know, in in years past when they went on the road. And that is a credit to this staff that all year long they've been saying, this team's different, this team's different. They've looked different. And they continue to show us right up until the very end of the regular season that they are different. I mean, they won multiple road games. (laughs) <laughs> you know, when's when's the last time that's happened in a Syracuse football season? Like, let, let alone for, forget the big things for a second. Forget the nine wins. Forget the ranking. Forget forget that. I mean, they they hadn't won multiple road games. They hadn't won back to back conference road games in so long. You know, it's 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 stupid little things like that that have changed. And and I know that you you point to a down schedule this year, Steve. But but let me read off what they've got next year. And and you can't convince me that next year's schedule is any more difficult than, than what they've got this year. Liberty, Holy Cross, Maryland, Western Michigan. Their non-conference is decidedly easier than it was this past season. Uh, road games in the ACC. Duke, NC State, Louisville, Florida State. Home games. Pitt, BC, Wake, Clemson. I mean, you can, you can't tell me that's an easy that that's a more difficult schedule than what we saw this past year. So, yeah, you can look at them and say, hey, they, they played a down ACC, they, they they caught everybody at the right time, and they went on the road and they beat Wake Forest, and, and they got Louisville in the Dome, and they were bad, and they, they beat Florida State before they had their, their stuff all together. I, I don't look at next year and say, ah, well, they're going to come crashing back down to earth. 2013, by the way, uh, if, if I'm reading this correctly, last time that they That's won incredible. multiple conference road games. Uh, they beat uh, Maryland and NC State in their first year in the ACC back in 2013 under Scott Schaefer. Um, so you're right. Forget the big things. The the little things are impressive as well. And, you know, we, we can't talk about that football game without 
bringing up the performance by Eric Dungy and what he did. And whenever they release the ACC Players of the Week... Uh, Should be coming Eric, in the next hour. Eric Dungy, uh, can we agree, will be the quarterback of the he week. Should be. Um, six touchdowns, okay. he had three through the air, 372. He had three touchdowns on the ground. And this from a kid that we didn't even know if he was going to be able to play. Can I, I, I want to point out two things. One, the absurdity of this sentence that I, I recorded for the, the Orange Press that, that we hear in breaks. Uh, Dungy joins, <laughs> joins college and pro football Hall of Famer Jim Brown and former quarterback Zach Mahoney as the only three players to score six touchdowns in a game. Uh, just the absurdity of that statement, first and foremost. Uh, but also, I find Eric Dungy's two best performances this year really interesting. Don't you? Because his two best performances by far, like a landslide, are the NC State game and this Boston College game. And they, not that they're in, they are totally in common here, but it feels similar. What happened questions in the lead during the week? There were so many questions surrounding him and his position during the week. And, and one, one was performance based, one was injury based. But he came out in both instances and, and just, Told everybody to shut up, uh, right? That that's exactly what he did. He came out against NC State and said, "Oh, you don't think I can throw the ball? How about this? Here's 400 something yards of offense and a 51 point performance in the dome. Oh, you don't think I'm healthy enough to play? I'm gonna truck stick a guy at the ba- at the goal line and I'm gonna run over you and I'm gonna score six touchdowns. Like he, they, and I'm these, gonna run the ball 18 times. <laughs> right. These these two performances to me felt like really big statements. Now, how do you get that on a week to week basis? I don't know, but he had questions surrounding him in in the two weeks leading up to those games, and and the fact that he answered that way uh, again on Saturday, I was really impressed. The kid's a winner, like he is. He's a winner, and I know that after he played poorly against North Carolina, and Tommy DeVito came in and saved the day. You know, we had that show, really an entire week of shows. That people were saying it's time for DeVito and you know, it's great that Dungy got us to this point, but it's it's time to hand things over and look to the future. And the kid is just a winner. Like he he ignores all that, he ignores all the noise, he lets it fuel him, and as you said, he plays football when when the chips are down and when he has to. And, you know, if they could go back and play this season over and if Tommy DeVito's the starter, listen, I think Tommy DeVito's going to have a great career here. I think he's got a bright future. I can't wait to see what he does in the next three years. But is this team winning nine games if Tommy DeVito's the starter for all 12? I don't know. I, I have no idea. I don't know. Shoulder shrug. My, my guess is they're not winning more than that. They, no. ma- they maxed out with Eric Dungy as the starting quarterback. The kid is a winner, and he should absolutely be commended for what he's done for four years and the beating he's took for four years, but really needs to be commended for what he and these seniors you know, helped this program do in his final year. Yeah, you know, uh, on that note, you know, Dino Babers has said for a while, uh, you know, a couple of years, like th- this senior class is going to be remembered. And, and um, I think he said it after the Clemson game last year, uh, I want to say – that he said it about the the seniors at the time, but it, it felt really appropriate leading into this year. Like it felt like it was kind of culminating and pushing towards this point where he was like, "No, this is this is the year. Like this is the class. This is the group that's going to be remembered." And and obviously Eric Dungy is going to be at the forefront of that. And and Eric Dungy is going to be the guy who is remembered the most out of this group. But this group, the fact that they are able to get back and and not just squeak into a bowl game at six and six. 
not just find their way to the postseason, not beat Boston College on you know a, on a last play the way that they did the last time they went to a bowl game. They they powered through the end of the year and they finished ranked. I, I can't help myself but agree with what Dino Baber said. This senior class, led of course by Dungey, is going to be remembered for for a while. And and if if this is you know the start and not just the blip, if this is the start of sustained success. You're going to always look back at this year and and this team and this group of players and say, well, they, you know, they weathered the storm. They they played for multiple coaches, multiple coordinators, multiple systems, whatever it may be, and they came out on the other end and they and they kickstarted something. We should point out too, Dante Strickland had his best game of the year as well. You know, we're talking about Eric Dungey going out in style with his final regular season game and and the way that he played. How about Dante Strickland? You know, he had lost a lot of carries to Mo Neal. He had he had ten more carries than Mo Neal did on Saturday. Ran for a buck twenty nine, six point four yards per carry. Uh, he was terrific. Didn't find the end zone because Dungey saved that for himself. And, yeah, uh, three exactly. rushing touchdowns. He was a little greedy. And uh, and three passing touchdowns. But Dante Strickland was was terrific as well. Three one five four three seven seventy six. 44. Let's go to the phone lines. We, uh, we'll kick things off with Frank in East Syracuse. How are you today, Frank? Gentlemen, great. How are you guys? Hope you all had a wonderful holiday. Yeah, same to you. Listen, here's what I want to talk about. Um, Syracuse University football had a tremendous year because they got a tremendous coach. And he is well, he's going to win the ACC Coach of the Year by miles. All right? And my hope is this. I hope and I think that the brain trusts at Syracuse University have already got the ball rolling to renegotiate a contract that this gentleman deserves big time. Uh, I don't want to get a situation where it gets to the end of the season, which it is. However, there's a bowl game, and we all know that where there's speculation that Dino is going to be courted by a lot of big programs with lousy program records this year, but deep pockets. I think that, in my view, they're already started, they've already started that process, and that's my hope. And I hope that before the bowl game even happens, before it's even announced, that might be a little optimistic. But I hope that Dino Babers has a new contract contract in hand with a substantial raise because he loves, I think, in my mind, and I I don't know everything, but I think he likes the CNY. I think he likes the fans. I think he likes the passion. I think he likes John Wildhack, and I think he likes the administration of Syracuse University. But you guys know as well as I do, if somebody comes to court you and they got deep pockets, uh, you, you kind of lose a little bit of your your lust. But I don't know about Dino. I think that he's a guy, I believe he's 56 years old now. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not so sure he wants to get started again at another program, irrespective of the money issue. But, once again, money talks and something else walks. So hopefully uh, John Wildhack and, and uh, everybody up there that has to make the decision, Kent Severud, Etc. has got this ball rolling because we got a keeper here. You guys all know it. Anybody who watches this team knows it. We got to keep him here for the long haul. All right, appreciate checking in, Frank. Uh, yeah, a lot, lot to get to there. Um, can I, can I say first and foremost, I'm, <laughs> this, this is going to sound naive. I'm not worried about him living. 
Now, now that USC is off the board, I'm not worried about it. You're not worried nope. that he's leaving? Nope. Not this year. Now that USC is off the board, I'm not concerned. I thought that was the only one. And Lynn Swan just said they're not firing Clay Hilton. So I don't think I don't think he's going anywhere. Okay. I, I don't I d I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know. What I have said before, and I, I will say it again, is that I'm not sure it strictly comes down to money. Um I agree. I think some of it may come down to like let me let me use your example, USC, okay? They yeah. you and I both looked up the salaries. They're essentially the same, right? Clay Helton was making like almost identical to what Dino was making. But it's USC, it's warmer weather, he's a West Coast guy, tradition of the program. You know, you're talking about fertile recruiting ground. Um a lot of reasons that USC might be intriguing, correct? Yes. That's, so, that's why I said USC was the one job. Right. No, I know. Um, and we, we've talked about this before. I'm not sure it comes down strictly to dollars and cents. Um, my hope, and Frank, you're right, he is a keeper. My hope is that if he didn't come here with the intent of staying, that he sees now... That it's a job you can stay in. And a job you can win, and you can you can accomplish what you want to accomplish here. And and I'll be honest with you, I wasn't sure that that was the case. But looking back on this year and knowing that they are one play away from beating Clemson, forget about Pitt and Notre Dame. One play, if one play goes differently against Clemson, they're in the ACC title game. Yes. And they're probably in the top 10. And they probably don't lose to Pittsburgh. Probably. So if that doesn't convince you, you know, that, that you can't, achieve your goals here. I, I don't, and again, this is, I'm not saying this to Dino. I'm saying for myself, like I didn't know, I, I didn't know what was this, possible. This year and this, has changed your thoughts. This year has changed to me what I, what I think the ceiling can be here. And so it, maybe if this wasn't his intent to stay when he started here, maybe three years in, he sees, all right, maybe we can get accomplished what I wanted to get accomplished here. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Pat in Syracuse. Pat, you've been waiting patiently. Appreciate you holding. Uh, how are you today, Pat? Yeah, good. I hope you guys enjoyed your holiday. Yeah, Definitely. you too. You too. So just real quick, um, I know you guys are up against the break here, but, uh, I, you know, it's interesting because I was at the game, and I'm going to tell you what, what I was saying was the difference between the first 25 minutes and the last 15, and what actually frustrated me more than anything, because I kind of picked up on it early, and people in the bleachers, we were kind of talking about it. What teams do, if you look at Colgate, at that point in the game that Seth was referring to, they had shot, I think it was 34 or 35 field goals. Guess how many were from three-point range? A lot of them. Guess how many? Uh, out of 35 field goals, they took Probably 25. 20, yeah. I don't know, 20, 25. 30 out of 35. Wow. It was 30 out of 35, but they were shooting at that point in time 40% from three. And it was frustrating me that it took these guys that have been playing the zone – and the coaches who've been coaching it for a decade or more to figure out all Colgate was doing was hitting, hitting it inside with not even threatening the rim, not even look, not even knowing where the rim was, just to have the defense collapse, kick it out for an open three. It happened like 14 times. And I got to be honest with you, at this level, if we were playing a good team, we would have got beat by 30 points. I mean, that was a horrendous 25 minutes and a horrendous job by all involved. And I've never been – so obvious of what was going on here in front of me and why nothing was done about it. And 
I, I just I just don't get it. I don't get how it takes 14, 16, 19 offensive trips down for Colgate to figure out what they're doing and what we're going to do about it. And I, and I just I just think I'm very worried about this team for a lot of reasons. The talent is off the charts, but if you look at basketball, and you guys both will agree with this, in college, in high school, in the NBA, it is becoming more and more positionless basketball. And this program with the zone that I love and I defend is actually going to hurt us with this evolution because there are times on the floor last year where we were lucky to have two or three options that would even think about shooting, which makes it easy to defend. And now this year, I'm going to say this all year, and you guys are going to get sick of hearing it. Our four best players need to be on the floor more together, and that's Hughes and that's Jalen Carey, Frank Howard, and Tyus Battle. The reason I do not put O'Shea Brissett in one of those positions, even though he probably has the highest ceiling of any of those guys, is because he can't make a play for someone else. Those four guys on the floor right there can make a play for themselves, and they can make a play for somebody else. And that is also the biggest antidote to how a team can beat the zone. It's never, it's never an inside guy, and it's never just shooting. You've got to have three guys on the floor that can make a play. And I'll be interested to see if it takes three months like it did two years ago to get the right lineup on the floor so that we're not on the bubble. Because i got news for you. If we lose the Buffalo and Ohio State, we're on the bubble, and that's the last thing that I want to see. All right, Pat. Uh, appreciate checking in. I, I, you know, I, I will say this about Pat's call, uh, Seth. Um, I'm a little surprised defensively the start that this team's gotten off to. Now, I know that Frank Howard wasn't there until the Colgate game, but when you give up 80 and what was it, 80 and 83 points respectively down in New York, um, it's it's about more than just one player. Um, I thought they would be better defensively. Now, that's not to say that they won't improve. We saw the way that zone was working at the end of, of last year's season, and some of that is you know opponents that hadn't seen it before, but Oregon hadn't gone up against it before. I mean, UConn had seen it up close and personal, but Oregon hadn't. Um, so, yeah, I think they you know they got to get their act together, certainly on yes, the defensive end. there are things to clean up. Yeah. All right, we, we have plenty of time to talk about. We do need to take our first time out. Full lines remain open at 315-437-7644. Back after this on ESPN Radio. Live from Armory Square. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Stephen, Seth, back with you on a Monday edition of Orange Nation. 315-437-7644 is the number if you'd like to get involved. We'll, uh, we'll hear from Adrian Autry here coming up uh, in just a few minutes. You caught up with Adrian uh, before the show. He's uh, he's out on the road. It, this feels like a, a really big game on Wednesday for the Orange against Ohio State for a lot of reasons. And, you know, Pat brought up the, the struggles on defense. You know, we've talked at length about the, the outside shooting. Uh, rebounding has been an issue, although Syracuse did rebound well against Colgate, was, was plus 16 uh, in that category. This is a chance to go on the road against a ranked opponent and make up for what happened in New York, so to speak. And yeah, it is. if you lose it, it's, you know, I think the, the concern continues to grow around this community. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and it's a game that, um, you know, it's not going to be your only chance at a quadrant one win. It's not going to be your only opportunity to, to win big kind of games because you're in the ACC and, and you're going to have plenty of opportunities. But at some point here, you do need to win like a road game. At some point here, you do need to win a big kind of non-conference game because you don't want to put all your eggs 
in the basket of, hey, we've got to go beat Duke at Duke, or we've got to beat a UNC, or, or we've got to do both. Um, you want to be able to give yourself some options. And, and if you can give yourself some options by beating an Ohio State, by beating Buffalo here in the Dome, uh, that gives you some wiggle room, and I, I think that's really important. If you had to rank um, the, the biggest quote-unquote non-conference games, uh, I think Oregon would be at the top. Um, Connecticut's not second or third, right? I mean, no, I, you know, Certainly Buffalo, no, but, Georgetown, no, but St. The Bonaventure. Reason, but the reason you look at the UConn game is because it was supposed to be an easy chance at a win that wasn't in your building. That's my point, though. Is like that, that, that wasn't supposed to be one of the tough ones. That was supposed to be one of the ones that you were putting in your win column. That's my point, is that Ohio State, you feel like it could make up for the fact you lost to Oregon, but that Connecticut one still kind of like lingering as... That was maybe, I don't know, your fifth toughest? Like, if we were going to rank them, it, yeah. it's, it's certainly not second or third. It's probably more like no, fifth or sixth. Oregon, Ohio State, Buffalo, uh, Bonaventure. Bodies, Georgetown. Georgetown. Then I mean, maybe Georgetown and UConn Georgetown, are on the same UConn. level. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Georgetown That's UConn what I said, maybe like a, fifth or sixth. A slash. In any event, you have a chance to, you know, make up for that loss to Oregon, I think, uh, on Wednesday. And it, it feels like a really big game for a lot of reasons. Let's get a quick phone call in here before we get to Adrian Autry. Scooter in Jamesville up next on the show. Hey, Scooter. Hey, I couldn't have a it's a better sports week uh, I wanted to. First, Gonzaga beats Duke. Then, of course, Syracuse beats Boston College. Boise beats uh, Utah State during the uh, conference title game. Throw in the Washington and Purdue wins. Yeah, it could have been a better week for me as far as the teams I root for. Uh a couple things. First of all, I wonder, are you are you doing Floyd Little's uh, interview live or is it tape? Is yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk to him live here at one o'clock. Could you, could you ask me? Can you ask a question for me? He he. Grew, I grew up watching them, and they had back in the sixties. They had the they had this thing called the tearaway jerseys. And I don't know if you ever seen uh, movies of uh, them. They actually half the time only had shoulder pads on. There was there, there was a myth that basically they, they actually started banning the tearaway jerseys because of Floyd Little. No, I thought they can get his hands on them, so yeah, he was wearing the tearaway jerseys. And they kept going through about four or five jerseys a game, and they actually uh, the uh, the college football actually banned tearaway jerseys because of Floyd Little. I just wondered, can ask him if that's actually a truth, okay. or is it actually a rumor? All right, yeah, uh, we'll get to it. A couple things, uh, you know, you know, I I told you I thought the cycle had a good shot of nine wins, so I'm not really surprised uh, what the nine wins uh, next year, Seth. They're gonna have to break. Uh, uh, Sort of like a, 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 a thing that's happened, and I don't know if it's just coincidence or not. But Syracuse only won one grass game in the last five or six years, and they played three three opponents on grass next year. I know that's the reason why they have troubles with Pittsburgh every year or what. But they just seem to be look like they're a little slower. I I don't know if it was me, but it looked like they're back to their quickness against Boston College compared to Notre Dame. So be interesting to see next year for the uh, the road games if they uh, that that pattern shows up. Uh, but uh, like I said, I, I, I'm not, not surprised, and I agree. I don't think Babers, Coach Babers, is going anywhere. I thought U.S. and Seth, I'm thinking the same way you are. All the sexy jobs were last year. Timing's everything. And when the USC, if they're not going to go there, I don't know where he goes. I, I can't believe he wants to go to Maryland or Colorado. I don't even know what else is open out there. Yeah, and, and that's that's something we'll certainly have to keep our eye on. And as the season comes to an end and other jobs open, there's always a domino effect and a, and a trickle down. The fact that USC is not open, Urban Meyer could uh, leave. Right. Lincoln Riley could get an an NFL job. There are a couple, right? But. There are a few, and then the trickle down effect uh, occurs. But listen, we're up against the the clock. We do need to take a timeout. I will say this: the speed is back. They looked faster on Saturday. They're also physical, and we've talked about this throughout the year that they can win a physical game. And, uh, and I thought they won a physical game on Saturday. We'll hear from Adrian Autry on the other side. We'll be right back.